Hello, welcome to the Business of Medicine series on ENT in a Nutshell, part of HetMirror.com. My name is Ashlyn Asiri, and today we're here with Dr. Roland Evie to discuss leadership training in medical education. Dr. Evie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dr. Desiri, very much. It's a privilege. Before we begin, I'd like to introduce our guest. Dr. Evie is currently the Department Chair of Otolaryngology and Head Neck Surgery and the Director of an over 600-person communication center at a busy academic center in the United States. He is also the Executive Medical Director of a large self-insured employee health plan. He has developed a unique leadership curriculum for the otolaryngology residents within his department, and today he is here to discuss the role of leadership training in medical education. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Dr. Evie, can you define leadership for us and what role this plays in a physician's career? Well, the definition of leadership, there's at least a thousand of them out there. So one way to define it is separating it from management, which is a term that has similar connotations. So if we were a widget factory, management would be, how do we make a slightly better widget or a slightly more efficient process to make widgets or change widgets from being white widgets to pink widgets? In leadership, you envision that there is a need for something called a widget, and people don't know what a widget is, and they don't know necessarily how it's going to help them in their life or help the world. But you have this vision and you have this persistence and you're convinced widgets are something that's necessary. And you motivate people to change to a new place. Management, again, is managing people to make things slightly better, helping the status quo. But leadership is doing something very new. So for anyone who participates in a leadership training program, what are some of the aspects of the curriculum? And in other words, what are the main components of such a leadership program? Well, it depends on the leadership training program and what the needs are. And there's two areas that in society do a, create a lot of focus on leadership. One is the military. The military thinks leadership all the time. And also in business training, there's a lot of emphasis on leadership. So if one is creating a leadership training program, one has to at least reflect pretty hard on the fact that those areas have tried to consciously, intentionally create a dialogue around leadership and even a curriculum around leadership because leadership is trainable. It's not some natural skill that some few people have. You actually can consciously train people about leadership. Why is being practiced in leadership and having these skills important for anyone in medicine or even outside of medicine? Well, the word doctor, and we're all doctors, doesn't mean healer. The word doctor means leader and teacher. And if you reflect upon your time in college, medical school, and maybe being a house officer, how many times were you given training in something that was not clinical, something that had to do with leadership or even teaching, the other definition of doctor, docere? So... It was very important to me having a degree 
not just an MD degree, but once I got a degree in healthcare management, I realized we are neglecting the fact that individuals who are physicians might think they are leaders because they write a prescription and people fill it, where they write a discharge order and nurses carry out the order, but they haven't had formal training in leadership. So let's say you pick up a skill, you say, I'd like to play tennis or golf, and I will have virtually no practice in it, but I'll, I'll just be a natural tennis player or golf player. It doesn't usually happen that way. You actually have to be trained in it and practice in it. So incorporating this into the residency training program and now also our fellowship training programs was important to give the flavor, the exposure of what leadership can mean inside of somebody's heart and how it influences other individuals around them. And you mentioned that you've incorporated leadership training within the programs within your department. But when you looked back um, prior to doing so, and you looked over the programs that existed, what types of leadership opportunities had already existed in residency programs? And what things did you find were missing that you wanted to incorporate into your leadership training? I don't think many programs at all actually have leadership training incorporated into their training program. It's not even in medical school. But there are components, just like if someone goes to medical school, there are certain courses one might want to take, like anatomy or molecular biology or pharmacology. And so in leadership, there are courses that can be taken as well. And so we had to decide, I had to decide how to incorporate this into a four-year training program. So it was designed to have a year on leadership with military input. That doesn't mean shooting a gun or driving a tank. It means what are my individual strengths? How do I incorporate into a team? How do our metrics set for a team? How do teams get resourced? And how are we measuring success? We also focus on public speaking. When I got my degree, my master's in healthcare management, we were all mid-career physicians. We talked at national and international meetings. And when they said, you're going to spend a year learning public speaking, we sort of rolled our eyes. But virtually all of us felt afterwards that we were much better at public speaking. Maybe not as good as we thought we could actually attain. We thought we were better than we were, and now we knew we didn't even get better yet. So public speaking is very important because your persona, how you say something, why you say something, what your gestures are, all these influence others around you. We also know from the business world, there are certain elements that are, need to be known for certain types of courses you would take. So there are various things you can take strategy, marketing, finance, accounting, governance, operations management, organizational behavior. We incorporate some of those into the third year of the program. And then many degree programs have a capstone project where you actually work on something. And so we have a capstone project and the theme is usually prevention and population health. And our residents over the cycles have put together cartoons 
for prevention of head and neck cancer, prevention of hearing loss. And we put this out on YouTube so that it has distribution virtually anywhere in the world. How do you think we can take some of the aspects that physicians learn just through training itself and then tailor a leadership program like yours to complement some of their skills? And what aspects of that leadership do you think are most important to emphasize in developing physicians? Well, it can't be a hobby. We can't say, hey, uh, let's, uh, let's do a grand rounds on business or let's do a grand rounds on military because that doesn't get into your culture. A lot of leadership is cultural. People have to feel the need. They have to feel whether they have a knack for it or they don't, and they may want not to participate in formal leadership. So it can't be a hobby. You then have to make the time, and you actually have to bring in just not subject matter experts. You actually have to bring in real leaders for exposure to people who are recognized as leaders. And these individuals can come from within one's academic medical center or external too. And that again gives the trainees a sense of what somebody's life might look like if they're actually in a leadership position. And also lets them know that leadership is not like the movies where there's some type of quick resolution and there's a battle that's over in seven minutes and somebody you know, thumps their chest and moves into the castle and everything is glamorous and everybody lives happily ever after. Leadership is serving others. A lot of it is more grit than glamour. It isn't always fun. And so people have to know that the satisfaction they get is not adoration. It's the quiet satisfaction of assisting others behind the scenes. And so you, you can't get that just by a single grand rounds. It has to become part of the culture. You've kind of mentioned how you structure the program that you incorporated into the otolaryngology residency that you lead, and that it's really important to kind of tie that in as a continuous theme so that it almost becomes second nature for residents and other staff to be thinking about leadership. When you developed this program, what were the main goals that you had, or what were the realistic goals that you expected residents to achieve by the end of completing this program? Well, the question sometimes turns out to be like, well, what good was this? Like, uh, what, what kind of an outcome has been achieved? Well, the outcome can't be measured the day the resident graduates. Um, so we, I wasn't shooting for that. What I was shooting for was exposure to leaders and familiarity with what goes on in formal training for leadership. I'll flip this around. Let's say somebody is an MBA and they work in a business and they didn't know that, you know, across town, there's a place where people can get sick and they can put them inside for a few days and it's called a hospital. And so if we give them familiarity and say, well, here are people who actually take care of your employees when they become ill, you don't have to discard your employees anymore like you thought. They have a hospital and you can put them in there for a few days. If they have exposure to the idea of there's a hospital and there are doctors, they're not gonna become a doctor just by the exposure, but they'll be familiar with this. Their behavior can change. So we're trying to 
set somebody off in the right direction. And part of what we're doing is we're training people for opportunities that haven't even been invented yet. Because healthcare is in a really exciting mode right now, and it's going to be evolving. And just because we think we have certain job descriptions currently, that doesn't mean they'll continue to exist. And there'll be new opportunities that open up that people haven't even dreamed of. So we're trying to open up the mind of the residents and fellows about what might be out there, how to be adaptable, how to be flexible, and how to realize what extra training you might need in the future for your professional development. And I'm happy to say that our faculty and staff were between, over the last 10 years, maybe somewhere between 25 and 30 individuals have now got on to get master or doctorate level degrees to extend themselves personally for their professional development, which eventually helps their patients and helps society. I think the point that you bring up is probably the most important that we'll cover today is that leadership training is a mindset that prepares you to pounce on an opportunity when one crosses your desk, um, or at least that's the way I think about it. And having the skill set to be able to take advantage of an opportunity or even create opportunity, I think is really the main goal. And I believe that that having background in all of the different topics you mentioned that you've incorporated into your training program is incredibly important for residents. One of the main questions that always comes up is, how do you engage tired and exhausted, busy residents? How do you integrate a leadership training program into a residency program, even just logistically? Well, if you're fortunate, instead of engaging tired residents, the residents will feel inspired and want to be there. And the way you have to do this logistically, again, is say, how important is this? If it's a hobby, there won't be much activity in that regard. But if this is constantly available, every few weeks, there's going to be another session on leadership. The time is made available from the attendings so that the clinic and the OR schedules make the residents available. They're covered, the attendings cover their own outpatient visits or their own surgeries so that people can be there. You also can take the time to say during a grand rounds uh, to, to put it in for the entire uh, training core and uh, faculty. And so again, the idea is to inspire people and make them feel like this was worthwhile. I, I can't wait till the next session comes up because this was pretty cool. I didn't know this stuff. And so, uh, Dr. Nasiri, if I can ask you, how did you feel when you went through it? Well, I loved it, but I'm a little biased because this is these topics are some of the things that I'm very passionate about, and I had already sought advanced training or degrees in these. Um, I thought it was exciting to see my colleagues who had maybe never been exposed to some of these ideas before kind of learn about them. Um, I think overall, you know, from a scheduling standpoint, it didn't feel like a burden, which that I think that's the one of the main barriers to overcome whenever implementing any new requirement in a residency program is kind of getting people on board. It sounds like, you know, you worked to create a culture that really respected leadership. And that's not just across 
the residents, but also across the faculty and staff. How did you work to create that culture and emphasize its importance? Because while we do recognize that leadership is important, making sure that you have buy-in is an important fact. And and I think it is critical to success when you're trying to implement a program like that. So how did you create that culture that you were looking for? Well, one has to anticipate, like with any effort, there'll be early adopters, those in the middle, late adopters. There'll be those who are enthusiastic and those who roll their eyes and those who actively resist or passively resist. So in order to initiate this, it takes persistence, helped by the gravitas of the fact that I was the chair and that affords a certain status and recognition of vision so that uh, people would be potentially willing to go along with this. But I'll, I'll give you an example of how it succeeded and that when we started this, a lot of the attendings were reluctant to allow the residents to participate, being concerned that they were going to miss a little bit of the end of clinic or might miss a case late in the afternoon. So for sure, none of the fellowship directors were particularly interested in having their fellows involved in this particular training. And as of this year, every fellowship director has decided they want their fellows to participate in the same training that the residents are getting. So it's shown that at the beginning, there's inertia. You have to overcome the inertia. That's what leadership is. And then if it's successful, not all initiatives are successful, but if it becomes successful, then it creates the opposite effect that people feel like, I better get on this train because I'm gonna lose out if I'm not on the train. So that's, that's the cycle we've been at, the, at, at our institution. When you look over, you've implemented this for several years now, and I know the goals are kind of, you're playing the long game and you're looking for residents who will use these skills in their future, but did you see any changes in behaviors or attitudes or even just how clinical um, decision-making was managed more quickly than that, let's say before residents graduated? Well, I'll back up and say when I was getting my degree, which I didn't take on the endeavor because I was attracted to uh, organizations and getting a degree in that. It was because at that time in my home city, uh, hospitals were going under, merging out of desperation. And I decided I needed to learn about how organizations work. And within about two to three days of me starting a two-year degree, I realized this was amazingly cool. This stuff that I was thinking I was going to learn about like I was swallowing ill-flavored medicine was just the best. And why wasn't I familiar with this before? So I already knew that inside this made a difference. So it's hard to measure looking at another human, how they're feeling. And you've already admitted, and you already came uh, to your particular residency program with an MD, MBA. So you were already committed to this particular direction. But I would ask you, did you perceive 
after sessions with your colleagues who didn't have an MBA, any particular uh, conversations that they had or any indications that you could pick up that this was worthwhile or this was a really wasted session? I think the talks about culture, I would say, or maybe some of the other topics that take more time to develop maybe were a little bit more difficult to discern over a short period of time. But there were definitely practical aspects of the training, such as public speaking, like you mentioned, where I even saw changes in my own methodology of even something as simple as making our slide decks um, in a different way. And so I think there are short-term gains that I witnessed and the long-term games I suppose we'll see in the future. It's probably impossible to look back and say this wonderful thing that's happened in my career is because of this specific incident or this specific program, but I imagine it's kind of planting the seed, and hopefully you build upon that as you move through your career. We've talked a lot about you know, implementing this this in residency training. And, you know, obviously this isn't something that's specific to otolaryngology or surgical residents. I think all physicians would benefit from leadership training. But how do you imagine it would work into medical education earlier in the process, such as in medical school or even in undergraduate training? Um, is there any specific way that you envision that happening? Well, in my ideal world, which it's not an ideal world right now, uh, when someone would get their medical training, they would come out with the equivalent of both an MBA and an MPH. If we train people with the MD, the mindset is, I am the doctor and I will see the single patient. Maybe I'll expand and I'll think about the family around the patient, but that's my training. And I've spent a lot of time training that way, so that must be the way it is. But what I lose perspective on is I work in an organization. Uh, no matter how large or small my office might be, the organization has systems in it. There are roads that brought the patients in. There are insurance companies involved. There's pharmaceutical companies involved that I'll even think about. And that's because my training didn't include that. So if I have an MBA, I'm going to be thinking more broadly. If I had an MPH, I'd also be thinking about why am I letting these people break down and be brought into my shop so I can fix them up? Why am I not worried about big populations and trying to keep them healthy, trying to keep them from breaking down and need to come into my garage to be fixed up? So we don't have the, the overall mindset. So earlier on, I think, I believe, my opinion for what it's worth, is if we incorporated a lot of elements of an MBA, healthcare-oriented MBA, and an MPH, we would have more broadly focused physician entity for the United States or for any country. Now, as we get further out, from medical school, and we have to think about where are our opportunities. Well, what's interesting to me is we started this program here, and then we were asked to 
write something up for the inaugural blog of the New England Journal and the Harvard Business Review, which we did. Uh, several years later, there was an article written in Harvard Business Review about why doctors need leadership training, written by an internal medicine resident um, at a, an institution, a large academic institution. Um, and they didn't have it at that institution. In fact, there are so few places that, to my shock, I was asked to go to West Point to talk about this. And at that time, there were only three schools uh, that offered any type of training. One was getting ready to offer it into their undergrad program for medical students. And two, one being our program, was offering it at the residency level. So there's always a time to do this. And I've mentioned earlier that about 25 to 30 of our faculty and staff have gone on to get various kinds of degrees. And so even when somebody's been in practice for a while, it can be timely for professional development. And indeed, when I got my degree, I was mid-career. So there's never probably a perfect time, but we certainly could try and think about it, adding it into the curriculum of medical students. Yeah. And I think the earlier, the better, in my personal opinion. I certainly know that, you know, I maybe would have handled some decisions differently with different training earlier on in the process, but I'm thankful that I was able to incorporate it um, before entering surgical training. For anyone who's currently a trainee or even physicians um, who are established in their practices, who are interested in learning more about either leadership or developing a leadership program at their institutions, what advice and resources do you recommend? Is there anything out there that they can refer to? Well, there's precious little. They can look up those two articles I mentioned earlier. Um, there are schools called business schools that that teach uh, business activity. Um, and it is possible, uh, when we started off, we went over to ROTC uh, for the military year. And we've used both Navy ROTC as well as the next two cycles, four years apart from uh, West Point leaders. So the military also exists to help. Uh, there are business consultants who exist, but I would say that um, I haven't tapped them very much at all. I've tried to tap uh, authentic people who were genuinely in the military, uh, genuinely are in leadership positions uh, to engage with our trainees so that it feels genuine and authentic. Well, Dr. Evie, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, do you have any last bits of advice for our listeners? Dr. Nasiri, it is a joy to speak with you and a privilege to be interviewed by you. And you make us proud. And I thank you and congratulate you. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for our show today. Thanks for listening. Um, that wraps up this episode of ENT in Nutshell, and we'll see you all next time.